Good morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible study. Let me ask you to open your Bible to the New Testament in the book of James. Our study will be located today. The book of James. We begin the study of the book of James today. And we should begin this study knowing that God's word understood and applied is a matter of guaranteed success. Now, when I say that, I don't mean success as the world uses the term. Money and career and popularity and celebrity and luxury and all that. No. I mean success in your relationship with God through Christ. Success in your faith, and from that faith, strength to deal with life on earth, to be an active disciple of Christ day by day, and to count it all joy even when you fall into trials. Guaranteed success. If we will read and study and apply consistently the teaching we're going to cover in the book of James. My function is to get our attention focused on the Word of God in James. My function is to guide us and keep our attention there and then to challenge us from the biblical text into our hearts and then outside the doors of this building into life. That's what our plan is. We're in the book of James and this is our first class in the book of James this morning, and we begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we express to Thee our praise and adoration, our love and our desire to serve Thee, to honor Christ, and change our lives in whatever ways are called for by Thy Word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Right away, as we begin our study in the book of James, let me give you notice of our format. I'll read the text. We will go through it in expository fashion. And as we engage in that analysis of the words and the phrases, the main idea of the text will emerge, and we'll get hold of that. I'll pause briefly from time to time for your comments about the text under consideration, and then the last ten minutes will be spent with what we call takeaways, specific applications from the text we have studied. So with that in mind, I want you to look with me. I'm using the English Standard Version. It may read a little different in the translation you have, but I'm reading verse 1 of James chapter 1 from the English Standard Version. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the dispersion, greetings. We're going to dig into that now. We're going to learn about the writer James. Then we're going to learn a little bit about the recipients in this class period. And that information is given in verse 1. We will also talk about James' reference to himself as a servant. 
And then we'll talk about what it means to be a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose, that's the scope of our study this morning in James chapter 1 at verse 1. So let's start by talking about the writer, James. You know that in every culture, there are names that become, over time, very common. And that simply means that many people have that name. And so in our culture, we have Bill and Joe and Mary and Betty and David and a number of names that are very common. James is a rather common name in our culture. Sometimes Jim, we have a Jim back there. In the language of that early culture in the first century, the Jewish Greek culture of the first century, in the time Christ was on the earth, there were a number of men with this name, James. Let me bring up four of them, and one of these is most likely the writer of this epistle. So let's go through that just for a moment or two. It'll sort of be a good review of some of the things you've read earlier in the New Testament, but let's try to narrow down which James this was by going through four of them. James, the son of Jebedee and brother of John. He was a fisherman who was called personally by Christ. You read of that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. And together with John, James the son of Zebedee, these two men were sometimes called the sons of thunder because of their passion, their zeal, perhaps on some occasions their impulsiveness. References made to this James the son of Jebedee, in Mark 3.17 and in Luke 9.51-56. Maybe you remember when we came to Luke 9 in our previous course of study, we talked about the sons of thunder. This James we're talking about now, we'll call him James number one, the son of Zebedee, was killed by Herod in 44 A.D. According to Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Due to his early death, he is probably not the writer of this epistle. Let's move then to James number 2. Another man called James. This one was the son of Alphaeus. He was an apostle of Christ. He is named in Matthew chapter 10 verse 3 and Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Very little is known of this James, and there is no good indication that he's the writer of this epistle. That brings us to James number 3, who is another unlikely candidate as the writer of the book of James, because James number 3 is James the father of Judas, Judas the apostle. We know less of him and there's no reason to believe that he wrote this epistle. So you have James the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder. You have the son of Alphaeus. And you have this third James, the father of Judas. 
not really likely candidates for writing this book, bringing us to James number 4, the brother of our Lord. Actually, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the full brother of Jude, when you accumulate all the information in the New Testament, he, number four, is the most likely candidate for the writer of this book because of his early activity, especially as documented in the book of Acts. Even though he humbly identifies himself only as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, here in James 1.1, let me remind us that Jesus did have a brother named James. That's evident in Matthew 13.55. And at first he did not believe, according to John 7 verse 5, but after the resurrection of Jesus and an appearance by Jesus to him, he became a disciple. 1 Corinthians 15.7 and Acts 1 verse 14. Eventually, he became very active in the church in Jerusalem, documented in Galatians 2 verse 9. When Peter was delivered from prison, he sent a special message to James, according to Acts chapter 12 and verse 17. He planned, I'm sorry, he played a very important role in the conference at Jerusalem, according to Acts 15, 13 to 33. And when Paul visited Jerusalem, it was to James that he brought greetings, according to Acts 21, 18 through 19. So, the fourth James, the brother of the Lord, is the most probable writer of this epistle. He is mentioned, as I said before, in Matthew 13, 55, as one of the Lord's brothers. In Galatians 1, verse 9, Saul of Tarsus saw him in Jerusalem after his three-year exile. He was sometimes called, in secular writing, James the Just. According to Josephus, uh, he was martyred in A.D. 62. Many historians believe he wrote this epistle shortly before his death, so that would date the epistle of James in the early 60s of the first century. The tradition is that we read in accounts outside Scripture. James was cast down from the temple and then beaten to death with clubs. And one account says that as he died... He repeated what the Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was most likely this man who wrote the epistle bearing his name. Now, whatever may be in dispute about the exact identity or biography, there is something not in dispute. He was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now... If we say we are servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should make an immediate connection with this man. Because there is a fellowship we have with him in terms of him being the same kind of servant and having the same kind of allegiance to deity that we have. And that should make us interested in what James has 
to say. One more thing about James and then we'll move on. He did not boast about being Jesus' half-brother. In a time when heredity and connection mattered to many people, this man simply and humbly said, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before my next step in our introductory study, questions or comments? Now let's turn attention to the recipients. We've, we've done everything we are able to do about who the writer probably is. Let's turn our attention to the recipients. And we have this phrase that we're going to spend a few minutes working on. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, or it may say in your translation dispersed, or it may have the word dispersion in your translation. Let's talk about the tribal part of this, and then we'll talk about the scattered or dispersed part of this. The twelve tribes. I tell you, when you look in the Bible and you talk about the twelve tribes, you think of the Jews. When we first look at this name or expression, the twelve tribes, we immediately think of the Jews. I know of no other nation or people ever referred to as the twelve tribes. Tribes. So, based on this expression here in verse 1 and some other internal evidence we will come to eventually, I believe James is writing to Jews who were now Christians and had been scattered. James is writing to Jews who had become Christians and who now were scattered. Let's talk about the scattered part of that. The older formal word is dispersion. And this may be something hard for us to imagine. We enjoy, in our culture, freedom of movement. Almost unknown to Jews in the first century, and especially to Jews who converted and became Christians, and especially to Jews who became Christians who were poor. They went where they were sent. In many parts of the world today, people can't just live anywhere. And people may be moved in mass around from place to place. Maybe out of their homeland. Most of us, I would think, have never been scattered in the sense of James 1 verse 1. Maybe we've never, never been evicted or involuntarily displaced from one place to another. Maybe hard for us to imagine. Let me remind us that in the time of Christ and the apostles, in the early days, there was a strong loathing of Christians. They were not a favored people especially among men who held great power, religious power, political power. They persecuted Christians. Christians would be moved and scattered, get them out of the way, move them out of our community. Sometimes they would be killed simply because they were followers of Christ. And as I said before, many people had three marks against them. 
they were Jewish in terms of their ethnic background. They became followers of Christ and they were poor. They went where they were sent in many cases. They were victims of random dispersion or scattering. References made to this in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Uh, Christians were persecuted and pushed outside of Palestine. It is likely many of these Jewish Christians were poor or oppressed. Being Jews, they would be rejected by Gentiles. Being Christian Jews, that is Jewish blood, but they become Christians, they would be rejected by many of their own countrymen. Jews would disperse Jews when those Jews became Christians. And as we go through the book of James, we find evidence of this difficulty that encountered the people James was writing to. Rich, powerful Gentiles pushed Christians of Jewish background around, taking them through trials and punishment. So the writer here is a servant. He is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to his fellow servants of God and the Lord Jesus Christ who were scattered abroad. That's how the book of James begins. Let me pause here again before our next level of study for questions or comments. Now let's go back to something that can have very good practical meaning for each of us. This matter of James as the servant, or in some translations you have, it may say bond servant. It may vary from translation to translation. Slave, servant, bond servant. Those may be the terms that you encounter. James, we've already mentioned, is probably the half-brother of Jesus who is mentioned in Mark 6.3 and Galatians 1.9. He does not lay claim to any special relationship or privilege based on his fleshly kinship with the Savior. Yet, he was not so intimidated by his great brother as to retire into inactivity. He was a good man, a child of God, and he calls himself a bond servant, slave or servant. Now, our understanding of the word slave is heavily colored by American history. When the word slave comes up, it may be that there is one and only one image or concept that comes into your mind. You think of pre-Civil War slavery. Before that awful event, there were all kinds of servants and bond servants and slaves who were not kept in servitude in the same manner as pre-Civil War slavery. So we need to let the term be defined within its history and context and not impose on the word the immediate images that come from American history. The Greek word here is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. It can have many different contextual shades of meaning. In the New Testament, 
when used to refer to a Christian, it is a slave or servant by choice. A slave or servant by choice. See, Jesus didn't come get you with a set of chains and handcuffs and put you on a boat, take you somewhere against your will. You heard the gospel. You believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead. You responded to the gospel. You made those choices to become a slave or a bond servant of Jesus Christ. So think of the word slave, servant or bond servant, as slave by choice. And don't impose on that all the colored images from some sort of history that you're familiar with. Slave by choice. Now, I want you to think of this in three different ways. We need to think about what this involves being a slave by choice. It involves work. It involves belonging to a master. And obviously it involves obedience. So my thoughts ought not to be colored by images in history, but rather defined by what the New Testament says about a slave or a servant of Christ. Work is part of it. Look at James 2.24. James 2 and verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith only. We'll come to that in more detail later in our study. But that tells us something about what it means to be a bondservant. You're active. It's not that you just believe certain things. Out of that belief, you do certain things. James was a bond servant, and we are bond servants, and that entails work, hard work. Secondly, it means we belong to a master. You are not your own. You are owned by someone else. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. As bondservants... Owned by the Lord, it will help us bear in mind, we are not our own. We belong to another. So being a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ involves work. It involves belonging to a master. And it involves obedience. In James chapter 1 at verse 22, this is is exceedingly clear. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James identifies himself as a bond servant. And we, if we are Christians, are bond servants 
of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means in terms of specific biblical definition, we work, we belong to a master, we are not our own, and we engage in obedience. Questions or comments? Darrell. Exactly. Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul talks about being a slave to sin. By the way, that was choice too, wasn't it? Did you inherit sin? Was sin imposed upon you? Did somebody come get you and, and force you to sin? So slave by choice applies to sin and then bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ is by choice. So if you'll put that word choice into your definition of bondservant, slave, or servant in the New Testament, it will help you a great deal. Bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to use a crude expression here. That's a package deal. You can't be the bondservant of one without being the bondservant of another. You can't say, well... I think I'll be a, a servant of Jesus Christ, but not God. No, it's a package deal. You cannot serve one without the other. Now, we were not there with Jesus or in his family, and we are not inspired writers like James, but we are to be bond servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the meaning of that needs to be what is prominent in our lives today. That's James 1 verse 1. 30 minutes, we've covered one verse. But it's our starting place. It's our starting place in our study of the book of James. I have some other things I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to pause here before I take up the last 10 minutes. See if you have questions or comments about James 1, verse 1. Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to kind of piggyback on what everyone was saying about the servitude and slavery being voluntary. The servants back then, when their seven years were up, they could choose to continue, which is what we're basically doing. We're choosing to continue to serve. Right. Right. Hopefully, we do that every day. We get up and... and make the determination we're going to continue to serve the Lord. Yes, brother? Also, was it a bond servant, a person who someone has paid a debt for? Uh, in, back in those days, uh, a person could come, say you owe someone money and you pay, they would pay your debt, and then you were to work for them until you paid that debt. Right. Good point. And we'll never get a statement that says paid in full. Good point. There were many forms of servitude. And sometimes it was domestic servitude. You'd come in and you would offer yourself as a servant and you would live in that home and you would be called a slave. But there would be terms and conditions under the Roman system. And uh, so... Slavery or servitude did not mean back then everything that might be attached to it. 
uh, when people think about the history of this country. Good points about bond, servant, and, and the terms are different. Slave, bond, servant, and servant. Those terms uh, may be used interchangeably depending upon which translation you have. Let's talk about the theme of the book of James. You know, when you, when you write a book, or you write an essay or an article, or you deliver a speech, it's really helpful to have a thesis, have an objective, get your hands on the main idea. What do you want to get across to your readers and to your audience? And be certain that that theme flows all the way through from beginning to end. New Testament writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit and themes are very clear. And in the book of James, the theme is the activity of faith. The activity of faith. It flows all the way through the book. Every chapter, everything in the book of James has a connection to this thesis or this theme. The activity of faith. And so it can be said, and we will say it over and over again as we keep going through the book of James. Whenever there is true faith, there will also be good works to show it. If one doesn't live out their faith, that person is open to enticement and eternal loss. James wants us to connect faith with its activity, and its activity is obedience, isn't it? That's exactly what it is. Faith produces the activity of obedience. James follows that theme all the way through the book. So, listen to the opening verses and see if you can discover the theme even here just in the opening verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, can you imagine, I read that, and I say to myself, well, the Bible says that faith produces steadfastness. Okay, I got faith. I'm, I'm, waiting, for the, I'm waiting for the steadfastness. No, it's when faith is active that the benefits come to the believer. It's when faith is active that the benefits come to the believer. Whenever there is true faith, there will also be good works to show it. If one doesn't live out their faith, that person is open to enticement and eternal loss. I believe we're going to see that all through the book of James. And it's going to be good for us. It's going to refresh 
the definition of our faith, it's going to remind us that faith is not just something you have, it is something that is productive through your activity and my activity. Questions or comments? I want to do something in chapter 1. I'm going to put a chart up. And I'll pull this chart up two or three times over the next few weeks. And it will help us get practical benefit directly into our heads from James chapter 1. Not something I've done before. I'm going to raise the question, where in James 1 are you? Where are you in James 1? I want you to look at the kind of descriptions used by the Holy Spirit through James. There are about seven people here. There's the doubter. There's the brother of humble circumstance. The rich. The man who endures. The doer. The hearer only. The vain religionist. I've taken these phrases from the Christian Standard Bible. They do not differ greatly from the King James, New King James, English Standard Version, or whatever translation you may have. But what I'm going to do is make this very personal for us in the course of our journey through James chapter 1. So when we come to these phrases, we will need to pause and say, Now, am I the doubter? And we'll need to spend some time examining ourselves about that. Or when we get down here to the doer in verse 22, am I a doer? And if I'm not a doer, what do I need to be doing to be a doer? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make it that simple as we go through. So these are expressions all found in James chapter 1, seven different descriptions, and I'm going to ask where are you in James chapter 1? And, of course, always including myself. I think it takes about 15 minutes to read the book of James. So it is not a huge challenge for me to challenge you between now and Wednesday night, in addition to, not as a substitute for, but in addition to your daily Bible reading Read the book of James in one sitting. You got 15 minutes between now and Wednesday night? That'll help you. And when you come back Wednesday night, we will continue at verse 2. Maybe you've been able to detect that the pace in James will not be the same as the pace when we were in the book of Luke. You remember I've described this before. In a narrative section of text... You can move at a quicker pace and pick up the main ideas, but with didactic or expository or instructional teaching, you slow down and look at the words and phrases, get your hands on the main idea and take that into your life. You with me? James chapter 1, continue at verse 2 before Wednesday night. Thank you very much.